Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 90 of ADHD for Smartass Women, brought to you by Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, the six-step system that shows you how to fall in love with your ADHD brain. If you'd like more information, join our waitlist at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash waitlist. So in this episode, I am going to introduce you to the lovely Caitlin Mabry. Caitlin is a special educator who has her master's in reading and is the author of Hi, It's Me, I Have ADHD. She just launched the most wonderful podcast for kids titled Journey With Me Through ADHD, which is designed for children with ADHD to listen to and feel understood. She lives in Wisconsin with her husband and four young kids. Caitlin's passion is to speak into the hearts and minds of children and families with ADHD so that they feel connected and understood. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Absolutely. Did I get that all right or did I mispronounce your last name again? That's okay. It I is did. me. It is Mabry, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to get it right, Caitlin. <laughs> all good. Caitlin Mabry. Okay. So lately, I want to talk a little bit about how this episode came about. Lately, I have noticed several posts in our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women, and they've been from moms who have broken the news to their kids that they have ADHD, and their kids are completely devastated by the diagnosis. And when I say they have ADHD, the moms are telling the children or the dads are telling the children that they have ADHD, and these kids are so upset by the diagnoses. Now, There's so much misinformation out there. You know, we know that kids can be cruel. And so these kids have the belief that ADHD means that they're somehow not very smart, they can't get anything done, and they're basically destined for failure. 
And sadly, there are a lot of doctors out there who espouse these theories as well. You know, I've told the story many times about taking my newly diagnosed 12-year-old son to a psychologist's office to learn more about ADHD. And she would actually pulled us aside, my husband and me, and she told us that we needed to reduce his expectations so he wouldn't be disappointed in life. Uh, Yeah, no. So I just love everything about your new podcast, Caitlin. And so I asked you to come talk to us about how to have that conversation with your kids about their ADHD in such a way that instills confidence about how their ADHD brains work and just how brilliant those ADHD brains are. So their ADHD brain is. But before we go there, I just was hoping that you could maybe share a little bit about your own ADHD story. Would you mind doing that? Yes, I would love to do that. So I was diagnosed at the age of 10. I will never forget. I went to a psychologist. My parents brought me to a psychologist. And I remember just being curious about, you know, why I was there. And I just remember being there for a long time and going through lots of different tests. And I remember it was kind of fun. They, they made it fun. But then at the very end of it, I got into the car and my parents said, I almost remember vividly, they said, Caitlin, you have something called ADHD. I said, what is that? And they said, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. And I was like, I just remember my brain thought, deficit and disorder. And I was like, those are not very positive terms, right? And so in my mind, I thought immediately, well, there's something wrong with me. And in my mind, I thought I was defective, you know, and my parents did the absolute best that they could to help me come up with strategies. But I was never then educated on what it truly meant and what that diagnosis meant, the depths of the diagnosis. So I went through school. I was kind of a BC student. I always just felt really alone in my diagnosis. I felt like nobody really understood, you know, my impulsive behavior at times. And um, I felt a lot of that rejection sensitivity, which I didn't put a name to it till I was older. Did you know other kids that had ADHD or were you the only one? I did not know of anybody. And it's been really interesting because now that I've been so transparent, I have a lot of friends from high school that have come to me and and it makes total sense because I'm like, no wonder we got along so well, <laughs> that have kind of come out and said, Caitlin, I have ADHD too. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I think it was just this unspoken thing. I think other people had it, but people just didn't talk about it, you know? Yeah. Which is, I think, what drives my passion to want to speak to children, because I think what happens, and this is what happened to me, is then you build up, you build up shame and you build up these false beliefs about yourself and you build up these, you know, negative ruminating thoughts that just aren't true. And they can be combated with different tools and strategies. But when you're living through it and you're not self-aware of it, then, you know, it weighs heavy on you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you were diagnosed. Did you ever try medication? My parents chose not to and not for their own reasons. And I, I kind of toyed with the idea of using it in college, but I had kind of, you know, developed strategies and coping mechanisms where I just decided to, you know, 
power through without it. I'm not against medication at all. I think definitely kids need, you know, certain kids need medication in different environments in order to, you know, find successes in, you know, learning different things. But at the same time, I think it's super important not to become dependent on them and to make sure that we become self-aware of the way that our brain is working so that we can also find success you know, outside of the medicine. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. I think medicine is just a one tool in the tool chest. Absolutely. And what typically happens is we go to, you know, the doctor, we're, we're diagnosed with ADHD, and the only thing they do is write the prescription. And that's only part of the puzzle. I mean, I, I wish I was one of those people that it worked really well for, but it doesn't. And so I had to figure out the workarounds. But I've really found that the workarounds really do work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is a testament okay. that it's not, medication's not the end all be all. There's other options too. Right. Okay. So go back to when, you know, your childhood and you were diagnosed and then what happened after that? Did you still kind of muddle along as a BC student because nobody really gave you anything more than the diagnoses? It's very true. So I went into early childhood special education in college. And the super interesting part was in all my prereqs, I still stayed a BC, needed tutoring student. And then once I got into my undergrad, all of a sudden my hyper-focus kicked in and my the interest-driven mind that we're created with just was lit on fire. And I ended up getting a 4.0. Wow. I love those stories. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely true. And I mean, I say it to everybody who will listen. There is no ADHD brain that I have ever met that isn't brilliant at something. And so mm -hmm. it's our charge because we have these interest-driven brains, right? It's our charge to figure out, okay, what does that mean for us individually? Right. Right. Okay, go on. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> so actually in college is when I wrote... Hi, It's Me, I Have ADHD, my children's book. I wrote it for a class and I'll never forget my professor. Ironically enough, she was an adult with ADHD and <laughs> I read it to the class and it was just for an assignment. So I didn't really think much about it. She came running down the aisle because it was one of those big auditoriums, you know, and she said, Caitlin, you need to publish this book. And she had written a huge 100% on my <laughs> grading sheet. And I was like, wow. And it, I'm such, my love language is words of affirmation. So that just filled me up, you know, and it gave me this confidence in something that I hadn't felt in a long time, you know, but I still live with my ADHD brain that oftentimes causes me to, if a task is new or if it feels too big, I shut down and I don't pursue it. And so publishing a book just sounded like a huge feat. And so I was like, eh, I'm going to just put that aside. But it resonated with me because I, for the next 10 years then, I kept thinking, ah, should I publish that book? Should I publish that book? And in the meantime, I had taught in early childhood for seven years. So I was working with kids. A lot of my kiddos you know, handfuls in each class had ADHD. And so I was gaining experience on that level. So now not only was I living it, but I was teaching kids who struggled with it. In the meantime, I also, this is when I, I feel like my growth began because 
I got my master's as a reading specialist, which if you asked somebody when I was in elementary school, if I would be getting my master's as a reading specialist, they would say, no way. Caitlin does not like reading. <laughs> and well, so and that was what you struggled with the most, right? Yeah. Reading. Yeah. I struggled with reading. I didn't like doing it. I didn't like anything about it. So it was really interesting because here I'm in this master's program with all these people who love reading. (laughs) What made you choose it though, Caitlin? Well, like I said, it was kind of the beginning of my growth journey. It was one of those things where I was looking at master's programs and I knew that I needed to go through a master's program while I was living at home. I wasn't married yet didn't have kids yet. So I was like, you know what, before I, you know, move to the next phase of life, I really want to accomplish this goal of getting my master's, which that was in itself, the decision to get my master's was a huge battle in my mind. Because my mind was saying, no, Caitlin, you're not smart enough for that. You know, and I had to tell my mind, yes, you are smart enough for that. You're just going to have to take it one step at a time. And so as I was evaluating it, I'm like, you know what, I love helping people and I love helping people with something that I've struggled with. And so when I saw the master's degree as a reading specialist, I said, oh my gosh, I could totally empathize with these children and all the way through high school who are struggling with reading because I went through it too, you know? So I think that level of empathy kind of drove me through the program and made me just want to be the best reading specialist as I could so I could help as many kids as I could not feel the way that I did as a child. That is amazing. And I <laughs> I want to let our listeners know that you definitely practice what you preach because you worked with my son and he hated to read. And I have to tell you, I think you changed his whole trajectory as far as he learned how to read. And it's not like he knew how to read. He didn't know how to pay attention while he was reading. And I just got off the phone with him. He is in his first year at NYU, which just the fact that he got accepted there is like, really? (laughs) I mean, I always knew how smart he was, but he really struggled, I think because of the reading, to show his intelligence So I just have to say that you know your stuff. You really know what you're doing. And that's how we actually met, right? Yeah. And I'm so proud of him, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's doing great. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's how we met. And and it's been so fun to be on this journey with you too, Tracy, because it is a journey, isn't it? (laughs) That's why I titled my podcast Journey With Me Through ADHD because it really is a journey. And I think that's one thing kind of tying into what we're talking about with having tough conversations is just recognizing that it's a journey that we need to be patient going on. You know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And every child responds so differently to their diagnosis. And like you said, oftentimes they get angry and they get upset. And so, you know, that's why I want to provide tools to help parents in that transitional, you know, phase of explaining and helping their child become more self-aware. No, I love your podcast. I just love that you have kids on the podcast and you just have this great way. And I'm sure it's all the teaching and, you know, learning. You have this great way of talking to the children that simplifies everything, but it still makes it fun. 
So I, I can't, I can't rave enough about it. So I want to know, how do we do this? Like these moms who are posting in our, our group, in the smart ass group, and they're so upset because their kids are so upset about their ADHD diagnoses. Where do you start? Like, how do you tell your child that he or she has ADHD? Um, like I said, it's every child responds differently. That's, I think, the first thing I want to share, because even parents who buy my book, they'll say, well, I read it to him or her and they just didn't want to hear it right away. So we need to recognize that our kids, when we present it to them, that they have ADHD, that there is going to be a process with it. It's almost like aligns with the grieving process, which I don't love that analogy, but we just have to remember that there's, you know, a process of denial and there's a process of questioning and wondering why. And there's a process of trying to understand what it means. You know, like when you think about then all of a sudden you instead of getting upset that your child's upset about their diagnosis, it creates a compassion in us that we can come alongside them and help them take those steps of understanding. So I would say that the first thing we can do, and I think it's just really important to sit with your child and whether it's with my book or whether it's with some sort of kids love visuals, some sort of visual and just helping them recognize that their brain is wired differently And I think that is a huge thing that needs to be said. So instead of them feeling like there's something wrong with them, we all have differences. Every person on this earth has a difference, right? And so I think it's really vital that parents make it very clear that our ADHD brains are simply wired differently. And I think another thing that has been really helpful for parents is I talk about in my book, the acronyms and how, you know, how I said as a kid, I thought deficit and disorder were such negative terms. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important that then we highlight, even though there's the struggle there, I think it's important for them to recognize the struggle, but also that there's strength beneath the struggle. So instead of deficit, they also have determination. So kids who have ADHD, sometimes, you know, with their intense thoughts, feelings, and emotion comes determination. And that's such a great strength to have. And instead of disorder, you can talk about how, you know, those of us with ADHD are able to think out of, outside of the box and that we have, we're a dreamer. We come up with creative, innovative, amazing things to, you know, talk about and think about and learn through. So in just that whole idea of having an interest-driven mind and a passion-driven mind, I often, with my own daughter, so my eight-year-old was diagnosed with ADHD combined type. And oftentimes with her, you know, I just really drive home her strengths. So I'll be like, man, Elena, you have the most creative mind. I love how you thought about doing that. Like she'll come up with a different way to do her math problem. And I'm like, wow, that was a really great idea. I would have never, you know. And so I think it's just super important that as parents, we highlight their strengths. We recognize, help them recognize their struggles and help them 
come up with tools and strategies. In my podcast, I talk about being a soldier and putting on armor. So recognize armor that you can put on to combat some of those struggles. But then at the same time, I think it's super important to really highlight their strengths and their gifts and their abilities and their interests and how they can use their interest to get stronger in other areas of life. This is absolutely the same thing that I talk to my women about all the time when we're working through AOK, that for every weakness, there is literally an opposing strength. And it's amazing to me, once they realize that it's not just a weakness, but that weakness also means they have this incredible strength, literally that's how they then end up falling in love with their brain. And they start to like the fact that their brain works differently because, you know, the fact that it's nonlinear means that they're so creative and they really like they adopt that label, you know, and of course it creates positive emotion. So it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Yeah, I think it's really important too, that as parents, we need to make sure that we're aware of the way that our child's brain is working I think that knowledge is power and I think we'll respond to our kids because a lot of times I'll have parents ask me, well, what can my child do or what can I have my child do and see how it's kind of outward, like pointing, what can I have my child do? But I think a lot of times we need to look in the mirror and we need to really recognize our own awareness of how, because I, I, I feel as though if we can be aware of the way that they're responding to things and that it a lot of times is due to a coping mechanism because of their challenge. I think our response can help the child move in a more positive direction too. So can you give an example of that? So for example, research shows, and I have personal experience that (laughs) a lot of kids with ADHD have trouble with lying and not lying about, you know, stealing something or like something big. <laughs> a lot yeah. of times kids get in the habit of lying throughout the day. Like I'll say to my daughter, did you pick up the playroom downstairs? Yep. I'll go down there. Did not <laughs> pick it up. You know, just little, <laughs> little mundane things that are just irritating as a parent. Yeah. And why would they lie about that? Right. And so I think it's really important that there's an example in that situation that we look at why they may be lying because they aren't lying out of defiance. They're lying out of coping with the fact that they're struggling with that task. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I think that's just an example of, or one way. So now see how you change the perspective and you change that lens. And then instead of being on your child, why are you lying? You keep lying and, you know, being on them and shame them for the lying. We can look at it as, hmm, they may need help with something because they keep lying about this. Like me asking her to pick up the playroom, that was probably too big of a task for her. And that was a too big of a challenge for her. And so she lied to cope with the fact that she couldn't carry out that task independently. And so instead, I can recognize that as hmm, let's see how I can make that better. Instead of asking her to clean up the whole playroom, I'm going to give her a more manageable task to do that she can be successful at and she won't feel like she needs to lie about. Got it. 
Okay. So she just doesn't want to disappoint you. And so the easiest, fastest thing to think of in her mind is, yeah, I did it. And then you'll be happy. But really, Mm -hmm. she doesn't think beyond that, right? Right. When you go downstairs and you find out she's done nothing. (laughs) Yeah. The reflective piece, that's something we need to work on. Her psychologist said, Alina, a lot of times our ADHD brains have a really hard time with that reflection, like reflecting what the result will be around the response given, you know, so, (laughs) so it's something that needs to be exercised in practice, that whole reflection piece. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd like to add as far as things to think about when you're talking about ADHD with your child, when you're introducing the subject to them? I mean, part of it though, what you're saying, Caitlin, is we really have to become educated first, right, on how their brains work. And that's kind of hard because when, I mean, I know with with us, I mean, that was the last thing I would have thought of was it was ADHD. And so I knew nothing about it. And so that's what I think made it even more difficult. And then, you know, by nature, I'm just kind of a make lemonade out of lemons person. And so when I had that psychologist say to us, oh, you need to reduce his expectations, I just instinctively knew, no, we don't do that. And by the way, okay, I just have to say this so that I can get it off my brain. Somewhere at the very beginning, I think I said my husband and me, (laughs) and it should have been my husband and I. Okay, so now I can totally focus. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. But now do Um, we forget about what we were talking about? Yeah, no, no. Something that I I did want to talk about too is the fact that sometimes as Oh, no, I forgot, Tracy. It just <laughs> left my brain. The darn working memory. Well, there's something that we can talk about. Working memory. So often I think we get frustrated with our kids because we're like, why? They, I just asked them to do something and they came back and they didn't do it. Or, you know, I asked them to get their socks on 10 times. <laughs> they keep coming back. I think giving our kids grace in those moments is a gift that we can give them too. You know. Because kids with ADHD, research shows that they're told four times as many negative comments as a neurotypical child. And so I think as parents, we need to be mindful of that. And we need to make sure that we're aware of what we're... And I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I find myself sometimes getting into that pattern of being on her about things. And I have to kind of step back and reflect myself and remind myself that because as many of us know, some of us might not, it's important to remember that developmentally, kids oftentimes are up to three years behind Mm -hmm. in development. And so that makes a lot of things make more sense too, in terms of their emotional reaction to things. Is it a too big reaction or we can, you know, educate them and encourage them to have the right size reaction in different situations. One thing that Elena's ADHD coach taught her was lava. Like where kids love visuals. I would say that's one of the biggest things. That's what I was going to talk about actually. So I'm going to give you an example of a visual. And what's cool about it is I think as parents and being a parent of a child with an interest-driven brain is that we can hone in on their interests and then we can use those as visuals even for the way their ADHD brain's working, you know? Oh, that's brilliant. So if they're into, I don't know, Mulan, 
<laughs> you're you're exactly. using Mulan as an example, right? Yep. 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 They're into action figures. So then you talk uh-huh. about you can and if they have a favorite action figure, you could even get a visual of that action figure and talk about, oh, look, he's using a shield. We need a shield of, you know, memory because our memory goes away sometimes. So just being creative because we're talking to a child with a creative brain. And so getting creative in how we talk to them instead of just using, well, your executive function is (laughs) a little bit delayed. (laughs) We can use terms that excite them and (laughs) interest them to actually learn more about how their brain is working. And that's what you're so good at. And so as I'm sitting here, it's just like light bulb, probably the best parents for ADHD kids our parents who also have ADHD, <laughs> we're good at that kind of creativity. Right. I know. And that's the thing is sometimes, you know, I'll talk to some parents who are neurotypical and they'll say to me, oh my gosh, Keelan, how do you come up with that stuff for Elena? And I'm like, well, because <laughs> we share a brain. <laughs> Which must also help for that child to know they have another parent who has ADHD. It was so sweet. Elena, the other night, she said, she was like, mom, I'm so thankful that we share a brain. She says to me, I'm like, oh, babe, I I think she really feels that connection. And she, it really helps her feel like she's not alone simply because she knows I have it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I would say that too. I think, especially since you're talking, a lot of the parents on your page have ADHD. My biggest suggestion would be to be totally transparent about your personal struggles with it. I was just thinking about that. I mean, the worst thing is if we are not acting like we're proud of their brain and also our own brain, if we have ADHD. Exactly. So, oh, back to the lava. See, there you go. See, (laughs) (laughs) gotta love these podcasts. It keeps it, keeps everyone on their toes. (laughs) The lava analogy was super helpful a volcano has lava and it's settled on the bottom, right? And so as emotions build up, as you see your child being triggered by something and their emotions build up, you can give them the visual of a volcano and say, okay, where's your lava? Where's your lava? And then they can, if they feel it rising and come up with strategies of how they can bring that lava back down to the bottom of the volcano without it erupting. <laughs> That's brilliant. And you know what? That works for adults too. Right. I mean, it was so funny. I was having a moment and my Elena says to me, mama, where's your lava? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. When then they turn it on you, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say that my son has been my greatest teacher. So you know, as much as there were times where it just seemed oh, just so different than the experience that I had with my daughter, who was literally so easy. And we thought, you know, my husband and I <laughs> thought that it was all because of our great parenting. And we realized, no, nope, we raised them both the same way. They're just different kids with different kinds of brains. Right. So interesting. It Can is. I share one more story about Absolutely. my daughter? Absolutely. I love stories. So I was having a rough day. So I have my children are two, four, five, and eight. Oi. Very close together and very challenging ages and very unique minds, all four of them. <laughs> and 
it was just one of those days where I was feeling super emotional. I was hyper emotional. My mind was racing and I was just really having a hard time. I kind of was in, I have mild depression. And so I was just really in a funk, you know, and I went downstairs and I sat on the couch and I just started crying and my kids all came up around me. I mean, they're very, very sweet when I get emotional. (laughs) And I was like, I just want you to listen to me. I was just having a really hard time. And all of a sudden Elena comes up and she kind of scoots her siblings away. She's like, get out of the way. I need to get to mom. This is an ADHD thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. But that's so sweet that she just senses this bond, like this understanding that not only you have for her, but that she has for you. Totally. And she just held me. It was so sweet. I'm like, oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) So not only am I empathizing with her, but she's empathizing with me. That's great. That's lovely. That's lovely. And I think she can also see her mom as a role model that just because you have ADHD does not mean that you can't do whatever you want to do. You just have to do it in a different way, probably. Correct. Yep. Yeah. That's so sweet. Okay. So I have another question for you. How do you coach kids around how they respond to other kids when other kids make inaccurate comments about ADHD? Have you had to deal with that at all? That's a really good question. And that kind of ties into just the general struggle with kids with ADHD have with relationships or friendships. Mm -hmm. And like you said, kids can just be cruel. And so I think the, the biggest thing is empowering a child and encouraging them to understand their brain and giving them, I actually just did a podcast episode. It's called harsh words can hurt, but wise words can heal. Mm -hmm. And so I give some examples of one of the examples that from my childhood was what is wrong with you? A few different people in my life have said that to me. Like teachers? Um, peers, And different adults in my life. Yes, I had an educator who didn't understand ask me that at one point as well. And so it was something that kind of permeated in my brain. And so anytime I was having a hard time with something, I would insert in my brain, what is wrong with me? You know, or something's wrong with me. And so I I think it was triggered at my diagnosis. And then through life, I had it said to me by multiple both peers and adults in my life. So so I addressed that in the podcast and what I wish I would have said is there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. My brain just works differently and it just causes my thoughts, feelings and emotions to act differently sometimes and that's okay. Sometimes I need breaks. You know, like in advocating for yourself really. And so teaching a child how to advocate for themselves I think is the the biggest tool that I've been trying to provide for kids who I coach or even through speaking to them in the podcast, just becoming their own self-advocate. Got it. My, my dog, my dog is throwing up. (laughs) I have a big old thing of vomit in one area and she's kind of walking around the the room getting ready to throw. She's going to throw up again. Oh my God. Just stay away from the car. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. 
What about mindset, Caitlin? I would think that would be pretty important. Absolutely. That's one thing that was an aha moment to me growing up because our actions often are dictated by our thoughts, right? And so if we have these ruminating negative thoughts, then oftentimes our actions follow based on how we feel. And so I think that one of the foundational pieces that we need to put into place for ourselves and our children who have ADHD is to investigate our thoughts and figure out where our mindset is at and make sure that it's going in a growing direction. Because so often it's going in a ruminating negative direction and we need to change the trajectory of that so that we can grow into a place in our minds where we're ready to apply tools and ready to apply strategies. Okay, so I understand that as an adult. How do you explain that to a child? How do you get them to buy off on it and even try? It's a great question. So one thing that an exercise that I do with kids that's helpful, first we need to make them aware of their thoughts that are negative, whether that's having a conversation with your child, like, what are you thinking right now? Or something that they say often and encouraging them to pause identify where that thought is coming from, like what thought is producing those negative words or negative actions, and then having them flip it. So I'll give a pretty strong one, but something that I've really worked on with my daughter is I hate myself. It sounds so harsh, but kids feel this way. And so I hate myself turns into I love myself because. And so this is when we need to exercise reversing that negative thought and trying not to let it become a habit, a habitual thought, and trying to change the thought from I hate myself to I love myself because. So anytime they're triggered with I hate myself, they might say I hate myself because I can never remember anything. And you can reverse it and say, I love myself because sometimes I forget, but then I have the ability to remember once something looks familiar to me. Yeah. It's the same weaknesses to strengths, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and that looks different for every child because every child has different thoughts. I'm not good enough is a big one, or I can't do things good enough. And so you reverse that to I am enough and I am good enough because I have this ability and this strength and this. So just helping kids shift that mindset with, and it takes time. And that's another thing is some parents will be like, well, I did the exercise and it didn't work, but it (laughs) takes time. And so that's where patience comes in. And we need to just continually feed them those truths and those positive growth statements so that eventually and gradually they hold on to them and, you know, are able to live them out. How do you even introduce this to them? I mean, if you have a child that really is down on themselves and they just think, you know, they're kids. I mean, adults are like this, right? They just think that if that's what they're thinking, that's just the way it is. Right. I think introducing it to them is the key. So obviously they're not going to 
get it right away. And it might take a little bit of time for them to understand it. But I think introducing, like I see in you, I see that you have thoughts that are bringing you down. They're knocking you down. Can I help you come up with some thoughts that will build you up? You know, so I think that helping them recognize the thoughts that are knocking them down and then asking for permission to give tools to build those thoughts up. And another thing is, is though I think that is super important is giving the kids permission to sit in those thoughts. Like how are those thoughts making you feel and kind of getting to know those negative thoughts though too. So you can kind of, you know, get to know them so you can say goodbye to them and then reintroduce yourself to thoughts that will build you up. And that makes so much sense because we think thoughts, we're not even really 100% paying attention to those thoughts, right? They just kind of come and they go. And so we're not even aware of them. And so it makes sense to me. They need to be aware of them first. Right. And it's important to know that our thought patterns, what we're comfortable with. So it's almost we're safe in those thoughts, even when they're negative. Because if it's something that our mind's used to thinking and has been thinking for years and years, to actually change the trajectory of those thoughts when you think about it (laughs) is quite a feat. And so it takes time to investigate, become aware, think about, and choose new thoughts to replace them with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before I let you go, this is wonderful, by the way, before I let you go, I want to know if you have a kid-friendly ADHD workaround. A kid-friendly ADHD workaround? Oh, man. (laughs) Like maybe something that you've either used with a client or you've used with your daughter. Like I love lava. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you know what? I'm going to give one for school because we're right smack dab in the beginning of the year. And I think a lot of parents are feeling overwhelmed and teachers are feeling overwhelmed. So I want to give a little workaround that is helpful to, it's actually something that my, that the Elena psychologist taught me. And I think it's brilliant and simple and something anybody can do. Ready for it? <laughs> I am. So it's the red dot. The red dot is, so say your child is working on a math sheet. Okay. Before they start it, you put a red dot. Now it depends on the child. You might put it on question number two. You might put it on question number five. Wherever you think they are, where they need a check-in, that's where you put the red dot. This is something parents can give to a teacher or a lot of parents are at home, virtual learning. And so the red dot is the check-in point. So that's when your child can come to you or your child can go to the teacher once they get to the red dot and they can either say, yeah, I'm getting this or "Mm, I'm not really understanding this part. So it puts the ball in their court. It allows them to independence to get those first few done, but then it gives them a stopping point And it makes it a manageable amount to do before they get a break to check in with you. Yeah, that sounds really good. And it also sounds like it would 
do a good job of com- combating learned helplessness. You know, this idea that, oh, I need help. Oh, I need help. My son used to do that before he would even try. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it gives a visual of, well, first of all, it gives, because a lot of times kids look at a, a sheet of paper with 10 questions on it mm-hmm. and they shut down because they're like, I can't do all that. You know, (laughs) that's too much, you know, and so they go into shutdown mode. And so what it does is it gives them another thing we can do too. And this is something simple, but profound is cover up the other work. So maybe put Mm. a sheet of paper down or only show if it's on a screen, only show certain parts of it. If they're working on a screen and it's too much for them, have them do it on a piece of paper first or do it on a piece of paper and take a picture of it for the teacher, depending on what the situation is. But I really think that one of the biggest gifts we can give our kids is breaking things into manageable pieces where they can find success. That's fabulous. And then you create positive emotion and then they're further motivated because they think they can. I love it. You know what I noticed? It's all of these tricks and workarounds and tips they work for both kids and adults. <laughs> they exactly. really do. <laughs> and I almost feel like the more kid-friendly you make it, the better it is for an ADHD adult brain too. Because, you know, we're attracted to fun and sparkly and visual, right? And that's what you're giving us when you're talking about kids. Exactly. Okay. So, Caitlin, where can people find you if they want to know more about you, what you do, your podcast? Can you give us the run through? Yes. I have a website, www.caitlinmabry.com. And if you go there, you can find all my social media handles are on there. And I'm working on a podcast page on there. That's the only thing. So you can find my podcast journey with me through ADHD, a podcast for kids you can find it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on all those pages. And if you go to my social media Instagram page, it's in my bio as well. So I'm kind of in the in the midst of working on making it more searchable in terms of getting an actual podcast page on my website. But as we talked about earlier, I'm trying not to obsess about the perfectionism of it and that it's all ready and in order right the second. And I'm trying to just keep getting episodes out there and keep learning and navigating as I fail and picking myself back up and keep moving forward with it. Well, you're doing a great job and you are filling such a hole. I don't think, I think you're the only podcast for kids on ADHD. I am. I just love it. And I love the fact that you can literally give the podcast to a child and say, here, why don't you sit down and listen to this? And hopefully, I'm sure they will over time, they probably already have, really build a bond with you. And so it becomes something that they look forward to because again, it makes them feel good about themselves. And when I had a parent message me and say that her son calls me his podcast therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so cute. So they're only about five minutes long, just to to let the listeners know. They're very short, very doable in terms of sitting and listening. I tried to make it very ADHD friendly in terms of, you know, time. You did. Duration of listening. So. Well, and again, there's kids on there too. So I can't imagine that they wouldn't be attracted to it. 
Yeah. So that's been fun because I've my daughter who she's so funny. She she wants to be an actress when she gets older. And so (laughs) she's been doing she's the girl's voice in most of my episodes. She's so cute. It just builds her confidence right up. She's like, Mom, I'm so natural. She's like, (laughs) (laughs) she says, see, now I wanted to be an actress and I kind of am am an actress now because I'm on your podcast. (laughs) That is the cutest thing ever. Um, Good job, sweetie. (laughs) Absolutely. And she is good. She's very good. Okay. So I'm going to have all those links in our show notes, which you can find at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast. Again, Caitlin, thank you so much. That was so fun. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that's what I have for you for this week. So if you like this episode with Caitlin, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths and your reviews, they really help in that regard. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com, my email. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.